This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe, CEO of Ambition Data. Each week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer-centric revolution who share their expert advice. Are you ready to accelerate? Then let's go. Welcome, everyone. Today's show is about how to create happy customers through privacy compliance. And to help me discuss this topic is Jody Daniels. Jody is the CEO of Red Clover Advisors, a firm that specializes in simplifying privacy requirements to gain customer trust. Jody, welcome to the show. Hi, it's so great to be here. So this is obviously a new topic. I doubt you went to school to study this, but how did you get to this privacy area? of the industry in the first place. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So I had a whole first half of a career, quite honestly, in accounting and finance. So I went to undergrad for business and accounting. I started off at Deloitte in the audit practice, found my way to finance and strategy and Home Depot. And then the second half of my career started at Cox Enterprises, a big media conglomerate. I did strategy work for them. And then I got into digital marketing where I created a targeted ad network for autotrader.com. So I stalked you for cars. If you were looking for a Toyota, I might help you buy that Toyota or encourage you to come back and look at it, or maybe um, a Honda. And from there, it's really where the online advertising industry honestly banded together to try and prevent government legislation, came out with a program that was called Ad Choices. And I was responsible for our compliance. And at that point, it was autotrader.com, Kelly Blue Book, and a variety of other brands. And that was my entry into privacy. And from there, I really liked it and thought this was interesting. And I kind of jumped from the marketing side, full-fledged into privacy. So I built a privacy program for Cox Automotive. Then I went to Bank of America with their digital privacy expert. And then I opened my own firm. Nice. Lots of hops. That's a great progress though. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Ad Choices program? Because I'm not sure everybody understands or really knew what that was. It's very true. A lot of people don't until I tell them. So if anyone's ever noticed in an ad in the uh, that you've seen on Line, in the upper right-hand corner, there's a blue triangle often in that ad. That's a signal that is a targeted ad, meaning like I was looking at blankets over the weekend for my couch to throw, and now I'm being targeted everywhere with my throw blanket. And if I looked in the upper right-hand corner, I'd see ad choices. I could click that, and it would tell me my ad was targeted, and if I wanted to, I could opt out. And what happens, there's different experiences, companies doing a little bit different, but in theory, what's supposed to happen is I can click and then I can see the different companies that might be part of that whole process of making that targeted ad happen. And I could opt out of all of that. Um, The challenge, quite honestly, is most people have no idea what company A is compared to company 23 that might be listed. And you could have one company to 50 companies. Most people then just say, well, I'm just going to opt out of this whole thing because I don't know the difference. That's ad choices. And you might also see in the footer the words ad choices on the website. 
And that's to signify, hey, this site, we use data to target and, and to collect. So now you see it often in the footer of a website and then the privacy notice and kind of in the ad. That's supposed to be the triangle to help educate the average person about the ad. And what happened on the company side? So let's say that you opt out of ad choices. Does Google handle that automatically for you or do you also have to purge your database? The user doesn't have to do anything. It's all on the companies and all the advertising companies that there's oodles of ad tech companies that make these targeted ads happen. And when you click the opt out, it actually drops another cookie on your site that says, don't track me. And then all the other ad tech companies kind of listen to that signal. There's a sort of industry database and the magic happens on that side. But you, the user, are not supposed to have to do anything else. That's hilarious that it's another cookie. It's kind of like when you opt out of a phone call. Yeah. yeah, well, because it's all based on cookies, you have to have another cookie that says don't read that cookie. So what happens is if you then go and purge your cookies. You purge the do not track. You're back in the targeting pool. Ah. And you have to do it again. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a perfect solution. No kidding. Well, this just illustrates some of the complexity of privacy. And what I thought was so interesting when we talked before was the idea of not just compliance, but trying to get to happier customers through compliance. And as far as I can see, there isn't much research, at least not that I've read across, showing that compliance with privacy policy actually creates a bottom line impact. And so it made me wonder, are these regulations... I think things like specifically the California Privacy Act, the CCPA, are they just really creating these massive operational headaches for companies? Or are we getting to a point where both the company and the customer can win? I think it's going to feel to some companies in these initial days an operational headache. When the companies then realize the long-term view, they'll realize this will be a win for both them and the customer. It's been a little bit of the wild, wild west. And with the amount of data that we have and how it's collected and consumed and shared and, right, there's oodles of data that we have, like quintillion bytes of data that's been produced. And companies can honestly do whatever they want with it. But that's been a bit of a wild, wild west and consumers are catching on. Well, I'm not sure I want you to do that with my data. Well, maybe I wouldn't have given it to you had I known you were going to share it, sell it, package it the way you did. Maybe I'm okay with you following me and serving me a target ad for a blanket, but maybe not for the health information that I just clicked because it actually wasn't about me and you've stored it about me. I was just looking it up because I read an article and that was interesting. And the computer can't figure out all the time that it was me. And especially in the early days, it was just computer one, two, three, looked up this item, we're going to serve a targeted ad. And then I was profiled with that, but I might've been misprofiled. And the user had no control and no knowledge of what is happening. And that's just in the advertising world. And as we move into the Internet of Things and smart TVs and cars and more sophisticated uses of the Internet and everything, it becomes more complex where there really needs to be a little bit more reining in. And when anything is new, it's different. It's changed. It takes some adapting to get to the new norm. And I think that's where we're going to ultimately get to is the new norm. Yeah, like a cultural change. I see these articles on the news all the time that somebody was seen on a Nest camera and 
there was actually a pretty interesting story about a 92 year old man who is suspected for killing his wife's daughter who was in her 60s and everybody's like oh that's impossible that couldn't possibly happen but the nest camera basically picks him up walking into the house at the time of the murder and you sit there and say well is that the new normal is that where we've gotten to where all this iot information can be used without your consent right it's a sticky situation because in that situation from a law enforcement do you want it to be available to you but on a personal side maybe not and where do you draw the line where's gray and as we move more into artificial intelligence and again with more iot it gets more complex and we start having this intersection also with data ethics what's okay to use what's not okay to use and it it has an underpinning of privacy really as the core and you start asking the question well whose data is it is it my data is it the company's data is it the person who's home right right? who owns that data and what choices do i have and what should you tell me i love that you mentioned ethics because i think and correct me if i'm wrong here but it seems like the california law is maybe the first foray into some government regulation of ethics which is a little bit of an oxymoron right you don't always want the government to regulate ethics but i think it's important when there's a lot of chaos in an industry somebody's got to put something down to say here's what we're going to comply with is that the first place we're seeing this is that fair i would actually say that you have with hipaa and the and there's some financial privacy laws it's called graham leach Bliley act glba so your bank and your credit card have to comply with those as well there's a lot of compliance in there about how companies can and can't use data so there's a little bit of the ethics in that regard from a california law perspective the new ccpa it's very focused on telling me what you're doing with data so a company has to now tell me what is happening with this data i'm collecting xyz i'm using it for these purposes and i'm sharing it with these kinds of providers we've always had privacy notices but these are going to be much more detailed so what you said is that the hipaa and the glba compliance those were about how companies could use it but not about for the consumer about what they had rights to with the data they were just required to tell that they they have the data, but the CCPA is taking it to another level. Is that what you're saying? It is. And for anyone listening, there are a few rights that you have from the financial piece, like you could opt out of your bank sharing it with third parties. So there's a few, but not... Not easy to do. So I don't want anyone listening thinking like, no, that's not true. There's a few, but not nearly to the extent that CCPA is. So I would certainly feel comfortable saying CCPA is bringing, honestly, GDPR-like individual rights to the United States, and that is for the first time. So at a state level, it is the most comprehensive privacy law at a state level and really elevating almost all companies to have to do it across the board because operationally, it's very hard to say, well, I'm just going to treat my California people this way and all 49 other states. You don't have a law, so you don't get it that way. (laughs) No, it's not really going to be very customer friendly that way. If I if Jody called up and said, Jody, I'm sorry, I can't really honor that because you're from Georgia and there's no law there. <laughs> it's not like a bottle return. <laughs> it's not. I'm not going to get my five cents like I did growing up in Connecticut. So with that being said, the California piece, because of those individual rights, I have to tell you what I'm doing and I have to give you some choices about it. But as a company, I can kind of still do it as long as I can unwind what it is I've done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I have to tell you what I'm doing and I have to give you choices, which I have to comply with if I give you those choices. But essentially, the burden is still on the consumer to understand what those choices are, what the impact is, and whether they have additional rights behind that. 
Yep, the company can still proceed as it wants to, which is very different from GDPR, which I'm sure everyone who's listening here has heard at least something about. There, you have to really think first in advance. You have to have a lawful basis to be able to process the data. Under the California law, you don't have to have that same lawful basis. Now, there's a few exceptions if you're processing data for a minor and it qualifies for a sale of data that's like very little minute bucket. But for the majority of companies, you just have to tell me what you're doing. You have to secure the data and you have to give me my rights. So what are the choices that companies are offering or what are they required to offer, I guess? Sure. One of the big ones is the ability to access. Tell me what you have on me. I want to know the kinds of data that you have by kind of category and the types of service provider or the type of other companies you might have shared it with. So give me an idea that you're collecting contact information and you've shared it with service providers or you've collected my personal information and you've shared it with ad tech providers to target me. You only have to say the type of company. You don't have to say the specific companies. You don't have to list the specific company. And I think that makes sense. If you think about some of the large companies, again, it would be kind of meaningless to the consumer if I had, because some companies work with thousands of companies and think about all the service providers that they might be working with or all the different types of other companies. That would be, I think, a little unwieldy to list every single type of company, like the actual name of every company. It wouldn't be as meaningful to the end user. If you were to look, you, you don't know company A versus company B. So you have to list the categories and the kinds of companies that are there. So I could go to a company and say, tell me what type of data you have on me. And now as the company, I have to go in my organization and be able to figure out, oh gosh, this Jody person, she wants to know all the data we have on her. What on earth do we have? I have to find it in my marketing. I have to find it in my transactions and my CRM. Maybe I have something in social. What kind of data do I have? And then from there, I might say, I want you to delete it. The part about finding the data you have on me, I mean, that's easy if you have a fairly unique name like mine. I mean, there's only one other Allison Hertzo in the entire United States. But what if I have a name like Michael Smith or something that's very common? How on earth do they know that they're revealing the data that just applies to that one person versus somebody else with a similar name that just moved and happens to be in your area? So that is a very good and challenging question for companies. They have to come up with some type of a validation process to make sure that the Michael Smith that requested it is the same Michael Smith that's getting that data and not getting somebody else's Michael Smith data. There's a variety of different ways companies might consider doing this. It could be if you had an account, you log into the account, maybe I send you a special message or through the account or where you can request that access. It might be another email, like a double verification email. There's also some verification services at companies. That's what they do. They do verification. And some of those companies are starting to get into the privacy space to be able to help support these kinds of needs. If it was in the digital space, I might be able to provide the cookie. Michael Smith might have the cookie string and I can hand the cookie string over and the company might be able to match to the cookie string. So those are a couple different ways. But validation is absolutely needed and important. Wow. I can see how complex that gets. Okay. You were saying the third part was about deletion? Yeah. So one of the big ones is I might ask you to delete my data. Now, CCPA compared to GDPR is a little bit different. There are a variety of reasons. I might need to keep that data and I can't just honor it completely. I need to keep my transaction information for financial purposes, for tax purposes. I might need it for a business purpose. I might need it for a legal purpose. However, let's take marketing data. One might argue I don't have to keep marketing data. That one is an area where that's just a nice to have. So if 
Adobe came along and said, I want you to delete my data and you have me in a CRM system. You've put me through Facebook matching. You've sent my information to some agencies. You'd have to find all of that and delete it. What about areas where it's a little bit of a crossover? So like, let's say I'm allowed to keep my transaction information, but then I use that transaction information to calculate customer lifetime value and create various customer profiles for which I then do marketing. Is that something you can keep? Yeah, so that's a good question. You'd have to truly analyze how that works. If I asked you to delete it, I might come to the conclusion I could delete or I could keep the transaction information for financial purposes, but I might not be able to continue to use it if this person requested me to delete the information. Because if I've requested to delete, that means I don't want you doing all those calculations. I don't want to be a part of your system. But if the company says, well, I have to be able to prove that I made a sale because when the, if the tax, if IRS ever came and needed to audit me or when my financial statement auditors ever come and I have to be able to prove my sale, I might need to keep that information. But one would argue I don't have to keep that information for me to be able to do all the analytics. However, you could anonymize the data. So if you anonymize or aggregated the data and you took out the personal features, then that would be a situation where you still have access to the data, but you would not have the personal identifiers with it. That's tricky because I think we've all had situations where you anonymize or you aggregate I remember a particular example at a company I worked at and they had a survey and everybody filled out the survey. But when you sliced it in such a way, you could see that this person was in this geography and had this role and therefore the answers must pertain to that particular person. So there was a way even through anonymizing the data that you could still pinpoint someone, yeah, by the lack of information on others. It's not foolproof and you have to certainly think about the anonymization measures and is it, do you have enough to truly anonymize? All of those are absolutely factors. Okay. So let's come back to what companies are doing. And we started talking at the beginning of the show about how they could take action to create happier customers, or at least customers that felt like they were being cared for through the privacy regulations. I imagine there's a lot of resistance from companies, but are there examples where companies are taking steps in the right direction? Yep. So a lot of companies are a little late to the game. I think a lot of companies thought that this California law for sure was going to be delayed. But it's not. The governor actually just late last week signed into law the rest of the clarifications and amendments. So it is here to stay. And especially what's happening on the B2B side, if I may say so, is that a lot of companies have variety of contract amendments. And to do business with each other, they have to be able to sign that amendment. If I'm a service provider to a company, I'm often going to receive a contract that says I have to comply with these different privacy regulations. It might mean here's how I'm going to honor individual rights. Here's how I'm going to protect your data. I'm not going to use it in any other manner. I'm kind of simplifying, right? But those are the types of things. And so that new company has to be able to sign off on that. So you have a bit of a cascading kind of interweb of companies all pushing each other to comply. And then you also have some companies that are very forward thinking, B2C as well, who believe this is the right thing. They're making their privacy notices more dynamic. You're seeing more summaries at the top, more hyperlinks while I'm gathering 
buying data. It explains why I need this. Interesting example, I was purchasing some new kind of project management software like a Trello or an Asana I used Monday. And when I was looking at the features, tell me all the wonderful features, one of them was privacy. And it explains here was what we're doing from a privacy point of view. And, you know, I pay a little bit more attention to that. It's just what I see all day long. So I'm very cognizant of where I notice what those privacy features are. And I think you'll find more and more of that where that will be the new norm, really explaining not in four point font and buried at the bottom, in a privacy footer, what it is that's happening with, with your data. So it's almost a competitive advantage for those companies. It is absolutely a competitive advantage. And I have a number of marketers who are really realizing we've spent so many years and so long collating this data and oodles of companies, and they're certainly all there. But it's almost like we're going kind of back, if you will, to the human interaction one-to-one. And instead of just looking at the numbers of emails or the numbers of data points, it's one-to-one personalized marketing where you want to talk to an actual human and that you're realizing that you're trying to talk to a person and not just a number. And so marketers, I think those that realize this personal component are also realizing that privacy is a big part to that. And they're looking at it from a trust angle. I mean, all the conferences I go to, you're hearing marketers especially talk a lot about trust. And to me, that's the whole essence of these privacy laws. And it's because consumers feel like we haven't had their trust. And there's been some studies by Pew Internet, which is a leading provider on research. And and they're finding that Americans are not feeling so warm and fuzzy with all the targeted marketing and all the ways that data is being used. They want more regulation. They want more knowledge about what's happening. And the companies that realize that are certainly going to have a competitive advantage and win. Do you think it's, are we though walking into a bit of a rat's nest where the the marketers say, okay, I'm going to default to telling you more about how we use your data in the hopes that you won't back out and you'll realize that we're being very careful with your data and people will feel more comfortable and therefore they'll allow the marketing to progress. But at the point where they decide that, okay, that's too far and they get out of the system and then they realize that, oh, maybe that wasn't what I wanted and they want to get back into the system. Are we building this complexity of I'm out of the system, I'm in the system, I'm back and forth, I'm all around, and it's just really, really hard to comply? I will have to say that time will tell to see what will happen. I think we're a little too early to know operationally if, or even if that's what people are going to do. What I would say is I think that the companies who can show the right value up front and are just consistent with providing the consumer, whether you're B2B or B2C, exactly what it is that they're looking for, then I think that they won't opt out. It's the companies that inundate people all the time with messages that aren't relevant to them, or the consumer or the customer feels like, you've done something that I don't really like. You've lost my trust. I mean, let's think about some of the smart TVs that share data and didn't tell us, or the location tracking on all kinds of apps that had no business with location tracking. But you've lost my trust in that regard. Instead, if it's a scenario where I'm expecting you to use the data to keep serving me relevant messages and you keep serving me messages that aren't relevant, well, then you kind of already lost me and it wasn't really my privacy. It was because you didn't serve me relevant messages. So they just need to stop broadcasting. And when they personalize, they have to realize that even if they are personalizing, there's a certain gentleness to it that needs to be taken into account. Right. 
again, I think it goes back to that whole personalized human interaction, right? And if it's all about, you hear so much around the story and making sure you're putting the customer first. And that's true. Marketing shouldn't be about a secret. It shouldn't be, I have to get all this so that I can do it in the background and try and find you. It should be, I found you. Now let me show you why this is important and relevant to you. And if I've convinced you that my product and service is something that you need, the way I deliver it should be consistent with that. Privacy should be part of the fabric of your company. It should just be part of your culture. It's not about being sneaky and trying to cover it up or being still sneaky, but now I've disclosed it. It should just be, this is the right way we're going to do things. There's one company, a big, huge company, and they had once told me their mission was to deliver stellar customer service. And to deliver stellar customer service, they felt like privacy had to be a part of that. Because when they're interacting with the customer or when they're sending messages to the customer, whether it be marketing or when you've called for customer support, it needs to be like the customer is first and never that they felt like it was sneaky or being tricked. Does that mean that these companies are applying we used to call it the sunshine laws in journalism, where you would apply this test that said, if you shined a light on this and everyone knew, would you be embarrassed? It sounds like the privacy regulations are becoming, as they become part of the culture or the fabric of the company, as you said, the organizations might be applying a little bit of a sunshine law to it. I like that. I hadn't heard of the sunshine law before, but I would say that if you were to shine a flashlight on your company, would you be okay and proud with what it is that you're doing? Not to share your proprietary secrets, but are you doing anything that a customer might find a little shady? And if you are, that's not the right practice. And customers are going to start seeing through that. Does it get more complicated, Jody? Like, let's say that I've got a group of customers that's offended. Maybe it's a generational difference. Like, one group of customers doesn't care. Another group of customers is like, kind of care. And then a third group of customers really cares. Do you have to default to what that last group of customers really cares about, even if all the rest are kind of with it? How does privacy evolve culturally? I love that question. And obviously, you want to go to what the law is going to require. So that's going to be your first basis. And then from there, I think you have to evaluate what size group you currently have as a customer base, who your product and service is really marketed toward is the not care, the growing group. But it's that whole, I think, pros and cons and cost benefit analysis, right? Where's the revenue? Where's the size of the base? Um, Who's going to be more vocal? What's the future? And then And like any other strategy, you would layer this piece on top. And if I liked your journalist comment around the sunshine lot, if a journalist was to come and cover the story, you would want them to find all the amazing features, attributes of your company. You wouldn't want them to come and find you're doing this thing that's not quite right. So I think to your question of if you have all these different generations and different needs, you have to like, not too different, I think, from should I have what your products and features would be, right? You're probably designing your products or services for those generations and how different they may or may not be. This privacy piece needs to be layered on top, just like any other risk should be. But if a journalist was to come and they shined a light, would it still be okay? I love that philosophy that you have. And I think you can layer it on top a bit with this privacy strategy and kind of risk analysis that you'd have to do. Yeah. And I love the idea that privacy is just part of your strategy and you just lay it right on top and then think about it. I think that's underestimated quite a bit. 
So let's say that I've decided that I need to take a closer look at my privacy policy and really weave it into the strategy of my company. How should I go about it? Like, how should I try to make my customers happier through privacy? Well, the very first thing is all companies really have to know what data they have, how they're using it, and who they're sharing it with. That's the first part, because A, your policy should match what your company is actually doing. And you can't decide how you might need to change it if you don't know what it is you're doing in the first place. So that would honestly be the very first place is you have got to do what we call kind of as privacy professionals, a data inventory or a data mapping. And it's generally done at a process activity. Think email marketing. How do I get emails? Where do they come from? I put them in what system and I send them to who, how? Do I share them with anyone? Who are my systems? Who are my vendors? What are those people doing with my data? Understanding all of that, as an example, would be the very first part. From there, kind of depending if you're B2B or B2C, you would probably want to look at what is your philosophy? So kind of go into that strategy piece. Do you want to be front and center? Privacy is important to us. We'll put that out there as a feature. Probably want to work with the marketing and communications team, or maybe even if it's an online product or you're exploring it online, thinking about how is that communicated in the product and feature set on your website. So really thinking about it from that point of view. Otherwise, maybe you need to think about the product team and the product development team and how you're going to get, if there's any types of changes, into the product team. Maybe you want people to opt in versus default. So you got to work with the product team to figure out how do we make that change? Or if it's a website, right, the website team to figure out how you make that change. Those would be kind of the big two to three starting areas. And then the other is going to be those individual rights. How are you going to honor that as a company? And to me, that's really a big marketing communication branding opportunity. If Jody wants to come and make a change, what's that experience going to be like? It's really a consumer experience. Who do I talk to? Do I commit a form? How often? often are you going to monitor that? How are you going to communicate back with me? That's, an, that's a user experience. Maybe you're going to change my mind and I'm going to love it so much that it's okay. You can keep my information. Or maybe I want to just know what you have on me. You give it to me. I feel so warm and fuzzy. I'm copacetic. I don't want to delete my data. I'm a new happy customer. So just what's my user experience going to be with the company? No different than when you call with an issue to a company. How's your customer support experience? Privacy should be the same. You know, that's perfect because it is customer service, customer support right there. And I had never thought about it as a full-blown experience. And yet I've been on the other side of it where I literally had this problem with a credit card and I just wanted to know more information about the transaction. And instead they took it to the extreme and canceled the card and gave me a new one. And I was like, no, I just wanted to understand. I didn't want to go through this huge change. And so I think that's a perfect opportunity to really win customers to a higher level of loyalty. Privacy is a loyalty strategy, perhaps. Yes. I mean, another easy example that honestly companies can do today without thinking about any of the other privacy laws is think about when you opt out of email. There are some emails that I am forced to, it's either all or nothing. And I actually would like the email, but just not five a day. Maybe like once every two weeks, once a month would be great, but I'm forced to do one or the other. And there are some companies that recognize consumers want choices. It's not an all or nothing. So when you choose update your preferences are unsubscribed, you're given a list. And the company even really puts its bin of branding and tone of voice into the landing page where I can opt out. And it's not just opt out. They're using their own tone and giving me choices that 
make sense and kind of mirror the brand. And I don't have perfect steps, but my unscientific poll here is going to presume that they save more people instead of just fully unsubscribe them because they've given me a good experience. Mm -hmm. I think something we all underestimate and should not be underestimated. Jody, this is obviously your area of expertise. If people want to reach you to ask more questions about privacy or have you simplify it for them, how can they get in touch with you? Absolutely. So you can go to my website, redcloveradvisors.com. You can also just send an email, info at redcloveradvisors.com. And I'm also on social media. On Facebook, you can find Red Clover Advisors. On LinkedIn, you can find Red Clover Advisors. Um, Or my name, Jody Daniels. Would be delighted to help any of you. Wonderful. Well, as you can tell, Jody is incredibly well-spoken. Highly recommend reaching out to her if you have any questions about privacy and compliance. Jody, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. As always, links to everything we discussed are at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing this wisdom. It is my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm so glad that we're able to talk about privacy and honestly, it's kind of next step. Yeah, it's really revealing. It's very interesting. I loved it. So remember everyone, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. This is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Allison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO, which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text Ambition Data, one word, to 31996. And after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal. Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.